This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Forget the frustration of picking commerce platforms when you switch your business to Shopify, the global commerce platform that supercharges your selling wherever you sell. With Shopify, you'll harness the same intuitive features, trusted apps, and powerful analytics used by the world's leading brands. Sign up today for your $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash tech, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash tech. This is Good Morning Liberty. Well, what is up, all of our Liberty-loving friends? This is another fantastic episode of Good Morning Liberty. My name is Nate Thurston. I'm the co-host. Charlie's not here, but I am hanging out with James Chernowski. He's a Young Voices contributor and the Senior Tech and Innovation Policy Analyst at Americans for Prosperity. James, how are you doing today? I'm doing great. Thanks for having me. So we're we're obviously going to be talking about this really big, uh, what should be a bombshell from The Intercept, although we kind of expected it. We were talking some beforehand. This is not all that surprising. And I haven't seen a ton of media attention on it other than people on the right yet. I'm hoping it gets bigger than what it is right now. But that's what we're talking about. What are, what are your initial reactions to, to what you've read in that piece? Yeah, I think that to your point, it's something that's not surprising if you're familiar with the background of government and uh, treating dissenting voices and how they like to handle those situations. But, um, you know, to me, it's it's just something that's alarming and it reinforces the reasoning behind why, as people that are liberty inclined and liberty loving, that we want to go and ensure that we put restraints on the government's ability to go and encroach on people's liberty to go and express themselves uh, in ways that are protected underneath the constitution of the United States of America. Um, and throughout this piece, I think that you certainly see activity that at a minimum is disturbing, um, but at the end of the day, it's in murky legal waters, which is where they get to go and, and really love to operate, uh, which is at our disadvantage. So. Uh, that certainly is not something that's great to see, but I'm glad that there's at least some reporting on it and highlighting the great work that's being done by uh, General Schmidt in, in Missouri for leading the charge on this issue. So uh, definitely a lot to go over in this in this particular uh, piece of litigation. Yeah, there's a lot. And I wanted to step away from this for a second for our listeners who haven't heard of you before or uh, or seen you before. Uh, just give everyone a little bit of your background and what it is that you find yourself doing on a on a daily basis. Yeah, absolutely. So uh, as you mentioned at the outset, I am a contributor with Young Voices. I uh, go and speak on many issues surrounding technology and innovation. And that's also what I do at my day job at Americans for Prosperity, where I focus on issues at the state and federal level surrounding technology and innovation questions. So um, I've been doing that for the past few years and it's been a lot of fun. It's a very rewarding experience because you get to be talking about so many different uh, types of issue sets because technology really is infused in so many different parts of the policy conversation. So on one end, I can be talking about surveillance state stuff. On the other end, I can be talking about, um, you know, internet governance or algorithms or uh, privacy issues or you name it, right? So really that's my job as a tech policy analyst is to keep up to date on all the things that are happening in the world of tech and try to digest that into a consumable fashion to promote good ideas to lawmakers to ensure that people can benefit from technology as much as humanly possible 
And what kind of, if you don't mind me asking, what kind of political philosophy drives all, all those opinions and decisions that you're making as you go through all these things? Yeah, for us, it's it's about identifying barriers that are preventing uh, people from self-actualizing a, a situation where they can live their best life, right? So it's really based on the principles of good governance, of, of strong liberty-oriented uh, philosophical backgrounds. I think that it's it's primarily about how do we make sure that we are empowering people um, to be in the best position possible to succeed, whether that is as an individual, as a business entrepreneur, um, or as a lawmaker that has to go and weigh the the pros and cons of various pieces of legislation. So that's really what goes in and, and makes it work for me. Yeah, so as we get into this piece, I just wanted to give everyone a little bit of a rundown. So this was uh, this was released by The Intercept yesterday. Now, The, the Intercept, uh, I always know them for the Edward Snowden story. That's the thing that pops up. And this, to me, is very reminiscent of, of that whole story. It's something that we kind of know has been going on, but then they officially released a bunch of the, a bunch of the details. And by the way, this comes from documents that they got from lawsuits. There are some uh, leaked documents. Some of this is public information, and it really details a lot of collusion between the federal government and a lot of private companies like Twitter, Facebook, Reddit, Discord, I think Wikipedia was in there, Microsoft, LinkedIn, Verizon, a lot of stuff. And even so much as this was like a truly, this is a terrible thing that I hadn't fully imagined. A Facebook portal, a website where government officials can log in and specifically flag posts that they think are misinformation or disinformation. I tried to log into it today. The page is still up, but I did not have the proper email address credentials to log in. And this is, by the way, everything from origins of the pandemic, the efficacy of the COVID vaccines, the withdrawal from Afghanistan, the nature of U.S. support for Ukraine, and our elections, racial justice, and, of course, our trust in government and financial institutions. So there's a lot of stuff going on here. Yeah, you're absolutely right. I mean, uh, as that article dictates, there there certainly are a lot of wide ranging uh, topics that get uh, enveloped in in this you know particular situation. And again, you know, like is that really surprising that the government wants to make sure that uh, it's putting its thumb on the scale in terms of trying to control um, the narrative around certain things? Now, at least when it comes to COVID, um, you know, I think that. At, from a government perspective, because some of this does date back to the Trump administration. So it's not like this was something that was exclusively uh, the Biden administration by any stretch of the imagination. Um, this is just part of the apparatus of government, more broadly speaking. Uh, and I think like, you know, during the pandemic, um, you know, the government has a, a public health interest, right? They're saying, look, there's a deadly uh, virus out there that's killing people. We want to go and bring authoritative information uh, to the public so that way they can best protect themselves. I think that that's not necessarily an unreasonable argument per se, but there's a there's a massive difference between saying, look, here's all the information from the CDC on what's going on with COVID as far as we know, versus like saying, hey, um, which is something that was discovered as a part of this lawsuit, There, there's a Fauci parody account. Can, can you take action? Is this something that you can take action on? Um, you know, that that is radically different in terms of the context of the conversation. And I think that it creates a whole host of issues because, uh, to your point, especially as it starts broaching out into these other subject areas that you're covering, as well as just like other 
other companies too um, that are in different spheres of, of you know business, right? Like I think it just creates a very awkward situation for for many people. Yeah, there's uh, I I understand the I understand the idea that the government should have something to do with a deadly pathogen and uh, making mm -hmm. sure. I mean, I, I guess you want to know if someone's posting. Uh, COVID isn't real. It hasn't killed anyone. There's not a single person that needs to worry about it whatsoever. And that becomes like the dominant narrative and you have millions of people dying. And uh, I could see like you would, you would want to do that, but then there's a, there's a slippery slope problem that comes in where like, oh, also maybe some of this came from some funding I'm not I'm not saying that that's the exactly what happened, but maybe we funded a little bit of research that was dangerous and this could have leaked from a lab. We don't know for sure. And we're just going to come in and shut that whole conversation down. That seems to be more in the interest of protecting the government and not the people. Yeah, absolutely. And that's and that's something where I think this notion of the conversation uh, increasingly uh, coming around this nexus of, of what's being dubbed as misinformation or disinformation um, is becoming increasingly problematic. And it's because those terms are certainly connected to speech. And at least in the United States, where we have a constitution, that is technically still protected speech, even if it's a false statement that you are making um, in that instance, you, you are, you're, it's protected speech. So you're not going to be able to get uh, sued in that in most cases. Um, obviously, like when we're talking about defamation, that's something a little bit different. But uh, broadly speaking, like that kind of speech is permissible in the United States. Um, and the reality is, especially like when we're looking at COVID explicitly, right? What we understood about that virus over the course of when we first had it introduced into the broader society and to even a year later, um was two radically different positions and now we're two a couple years removed now and um you know we're still learning more about all that so the notion of of calling something misinformation um seems a little misguided when the notion is uh that it's a science it's a it's an evolutionary process we're learning about things as we go and you know i think because of government being worried about losing uh, respect slash, you know, buy-in from people. Like that's why they feel like they have the incentive to want to push uh, onto these companies this particularized uh, narrative. It's not something that is great, but I can totally understand why you see that come up. Um, because if they're wrong and they just let this promulgate, it it, cre it undermines the trust in the institution, um, and that's not something that they necessarily want to see either. So, you know, it's not surprising that they went to this kind of length. I really think that there is an incentive in the free market also for these companies to police their, their own speech on their platforms. And I do think that they can choose what is going to be and what's not going to be on their websites. I, I think that that is okay. Uh, I don't yeah. want the government telling them what to do, but there's a free market incentive for them doing this. They, it, yeah. if, if people find out that they allowed this, disinformation or misinformation or whatever they're calling it, the spread. And a lot of people died. Uh, you know, I hate to bring it into financial terms, but that's going to be really bad for stock prices. You know, people's net wealth is going to go down quite a bit there. To me, there's a clear incentive for them to do this uh, for themselves. Yeah. Yes, you're absolutely right. You're actually hitting the nail on the head there. I think that um, if you're Facebook and if you're Twitter, um, Google, companies where their business models are are pretty heavily tied to ad revenue um if you are not 
putting out a good community uh, overall, then you're going to probably start losing users and ad dollars. And it's not good for your business model to see that kind of stuff happen. So you are inclined to want to go in and create a good, trustworthy service. Um, so the, you're absolutely right. There is some incentive for the platforms to want to do that. And that's a good thing in many ways, because it does create a good online ecosystem, more broadly speaking, on many of these platforms. Um, you know, I, I think that that's where you get into the muddying the waters aspect of whether or not um, this is actually technically like the government uh, making them a state actor, which is the point of the lawsuit in question. Um, because technically speaking, the government never did go and require them to do this action that the company took. It was it was a flag. It was not a mandate to do something. And then the companies voluntarily took action, um, you know, based off of what their own self-determination was. And there's some stats in that article that go over like what the rate, I think, was in terms of the takedowns of requests. Um, 35%. So I think that, you know, it's not surprising uh, that they that they were willing to go and take some action on it because obviously they, they were as concerned about it as everybody was at the time. Um, but as they were more than happy to admit too, like they got plenty wrong. Um, and, you know, that's why you need that flexibility uh, because, you know, at the end of the day, there, there was a lot of unknowns going on in this situation. Uh, you know, one thing I wanted to get your thoughts on, they, they say that... Uh, they didn't tell them specifically that they had to do this. This was done voluntarily, but was it though? Because I remember a lot of these congressional hearings where people were grilling the CEOs of these companies, people have threatened antitrust lawsuits, uh, threatened regulations over their companies. And that's one of the big problems uh, here is that it's not really voluntary. They are still, even though in their email, I believe the email that they sent out where they were all talking back and forth. I was actually just going to bring up what they said. Each email in the chain carried a disclaimer that the agency, quote, neither has nor seeks the ability to remove or edit what information is made available on social media platforms. And uh, they were basically saying, this is up to you. This isn't up to us, but here's our suggestion. But it's not really a suggestion, right? Yeah, you know, I think that certainly is one of the main points that people have raised, and that's not an invalid one by any stretch of the definition. While the DHS, let's say, could go to Meta and say, hey, we think that this is misinformation, um, you know, do with it what you will, uh, quote unquote. But meanwhile, you have a senator from a particular state that's going to go in a hall, Mark Zuckerberg, in front of the Senate committee and be like, if you don't do something, we will. Right. Like that creates a lot of pressure on these companies. It's no longer necessarily clear to, to me, at least to say that. It's purely just a voluntary action. If there's a known and credible threat of regulation or some kind of punitive action against these companies for not being compliant with what the government wants. And, you know, not for nothing, not everybody has the, the ability to go and pull off like an apple with a San Bernardino shooter and tell the FBI to go pound sand in <laughs> light of a court order, too. Like, not everybody can afford to do that for a variety of reasons, because to our point before with talking about communities, like there were people that use these platforms that do want to see them taking action on this kind of content that could be bad, right? So they're not exactly, it's not as cut and dry. Um, so I think at the end of the day though, you're absolutely right to raise the, the, the point that the government, it, it, it could be an ask, but it's not unfair to say that it could be an ask air quotes, right? Like. I think that the government is certainly, it wields a lot of power, which is something that these companies have to take into consideration. They just have to. Yeah, I 
I wanted to ask your thoughts on whether or not what they were doing was illegal and that's going to be fuzzy, I believe. Unconstitutional? I don't know. This is this is the problem that we're talking about right now. It starts with Congress shall make no law. And in in that case, uh, Congress hasn't made a law that is forcing them to do this. We just have these regulatory bodies uh, that can control the companies through threat of other actions. And so they really are still controlling them. But what do you what do you think is going to come down on the constitutionality of something like this? Yeah, it's a, it's a great question. And I think that's the one that everybody wants to ultimately know. And, and frankly, it's hard to say um, because this is a lot of stuff that's requiring context. It requires a lot of like looking into things, I think a little bit more than a facial value. Um, you know, you, you can't sit there and say at face value if Facebook is voluntarily doing all this stuff that clearly the constitution was violated and they're a state actor or something like that, especially when you consider like what those companies incentives are, um, even just the sheer makeup of their employee base, like it wouldn't be surprising that they'd be, you know, more than happy to go and engage in some of this kind of stuff anyway. Um, you know, I, I don't, I don't know. I think that it's murky at best in terms of knowing how this would come down in a court case. You have to see a lot more in discovery, which is why uh, General Schmidt has this lawsuit out there and he's getting discovery and seeing the communication from the White House um, to these, uh, you know, to these social media companies or these executive agencies to these social media companies. And I would say like the thing that probably at least bothers me most in terms of the communication, for example, is like in earlier batches of discovery, I want to say it was like an email from a meta executive going back to somebody from the executive branch being like, thanks for taking the time to meet with us today. Uh, we want, we appreciate taking the time to better understand what the white house expects from us uh, mm -hmm. on this. Right. And it's like, again, even if they're voluntarily doing that action, it's probably not the best kind of communication to go and be like, Yes, we're here to do the government's bidding, even if we're doing it on our own behalf here and they're not telling us to do it, but we want to do what's expected of us, right? Like that that's problematic communications at a minimum. Um, and I think what I hope comes out of this lawsuit at a minimum is that it redefines the boundaries of, of what companies are willing to do with members from the federal uh, government as well as state delegations, et cetera. Um, and I hope that it makes, you know, people that are working in those in those branches of the government a little bit more reticent uh, of being able to engage in this type of conduct um, with these companies, because it is drawing a lot of ire, certainly from the right and even some bolts from the left, too. Not for nothing. I know that we, we, we certainly have a lot of people on the right that are upset about this, but I can't help but note that the ACLU, um, which is by no means a, a right side of the aisle organization, was more than happy to speak up about the problematic nature of these interactions between uh, government officials and these social media companies themselves, right? So um, I think that there's at least some positives that are coming out of this. This show is sponsored by BetterHelp. Don't you wish life came with a user manual? I know I've needed that many times in the past, but unfortunately we don't get that user manual. You just sort of left to figure it out on your own and hope you're making the best decisions. Maybe it's a career change, a relationship, Maybe you're a new parent. It's pretty easy to feel very stuck. Well, we don't have that user manual, but we do have BetterHelp. Therapists can help you figure out that whole stuck feeling, help you build better coping skills and work through your tough decisions. Now, I've done therapy before. In fact, some of the best life changes I've made came while I was talking to a therapist. It was tough at the time, and I know I didn't want to do it. 
I didn't know how it was going to work out, but I am glad that I did it. It's not really about a therapist making your decisions for you, by the way. It's about becoming a healthier version of yourself so you can make the best decisions on your own. As I've mentioned before, our co-host, Charlie, is a consistent user of BetterHelp as well. He loves it, and I know BetterHelp is helping him make it through the tough times. As the world's largest therapy service, BetterHelp has matched 3 million people with professionally licensed and vetted therapists available 100% online. Plus, it's affordable. Just fill out a brief questionnaire to match with a therapist. If things aren't clicking, you can easily switch to a new therapist anytime. It couldn't be simpler. No waiting rooms, no traffic, no endless searching for the right therapist. Learn more and save 10% off your first month at betterhelp.com gml. That's betterhelp, H-E-L-P dot com slash gml yeah i see a quote in here from the former president of the aclu nadine strassen who said the if a foreign authoritarian government sent these messages there's no doubt that we would call it censorship and uh i I think that's a good point now one of the problems i see here i want to pick your thoughts on that is uh, well to fix this don't we just go after section 230 i mean that'll solve everything right Oh, yeah, that certainly is where there's plenty of um, hot takes always coming on any day is uh, we need to reform, repeal, do something about Section 230 of the Communications Decency Act. And it's a really simple law, right? It's basically tort reform. All, all it's saying is that you are not responsible if you are a .com website for third-party content that is on your website. It's very simple. If if two guys got into a fight at a bar, you're not going to be able to hold the bar liable for the things that the two drunk guys did at the bar in the fight. It just doesn't make sense. You don't want to see that kind of stuff evolve because it just creates bad incentives and actually results in an environment that I think actually has less speech online, which is the exact opposite of what some folks would like to see happen uh, in the discourse right now. So I think that, you know, there's there's certainly all those calls out there, especially in light of uh, since the Elon Musk takeover of Twitter, uh, there have been a lot more interesting calls on that front. Um, but yeah, I, I think that that's a misplaced, uh, suggestion. I think that if you're looking to go and tackle the problems that you're seeing, um, with many of these quote unquote, big tech companies, uh, it starts by tackling the issues that are presenting itself within the apparatus of big government. Yeah. The issue I've had with 230 is I can't figure out what they think it would solve if you repealed that. I only see it. The only thing outcome I can see is they think it's a punishment for the companies that they could be held liable for a lot of things and maybe end up incurring a lot of damages. But like you said, I only see that they're going to clamp down even more on speech after that. I don't see any way that it solves the free speech problem whatsoever. It kind of looks like a revenge jab from people on the right right now. Yeah, that's it's totally a fair assessment. I think that and thankfully, I think the right to some degree has moved away from the repeal 230 uh, kind of uh, notion. Um, but I, I think that if you if you were to repeal 230, you basically go back to a status of the internet that existed before 230, where you had what was called the moderator's dilemma, um, where either you left everything up, and that included a lot of things that were protected underneath the First Amendment that was not overly pleasant uh, for people to see, uh, or you had a more paywalled, like, you know, structured environment where everything was heavily moderated uh, and very controlled, and it was very controlled speech in that sense. Um, and that's not something that's ideal either. Ironically enough, like 230 came out of the Wolf of Wall Street uh, kind of case, Stratton Oakmont, uh, the prodigy, uh, because somebody had said something libelous on prodigy servers, uh, which was a family friendly 
uh, thing, ironically enough, and then they were found to be liable. Um, and that's why Section 230 came out, because it made no sense that depending on what the action of the company was doing, that that's how what determined liability um, in that instance, especially when the core issue at hand was speech that wasn't even theirs. Um, so I think that is completely misguided. I think that there are more interesting options out there. Again, if you're looking to go and tackle some of these issues, especially in light of this, this story from The Intercept, it starts with tackling the problem of private job owning that these government entities, agents, um, individuals are doing uh, when it comes to these social media companies. So whether that's um, creating more explicit transparency reports of government requests or government flags um, that are publicly available uh, and you know updated even live or whatever. Like there are ways that we can go and do that that can go and uh, try to align incentives where government's not misbehaving as badly, right? And I think that that's where our energy should be focused on is starting with that, and then we can go and start looking at how we can tackle other issues that come from you know civil society at all that some folks have concerns about. I do see that being valuable, at least knowing what posts that government officials are flagging as misinformation and disinformation. Um, I just so we would the curtain would be would be pulled off, you know, that you would be able to see, oh, this is just something that makes the government look bad. That's that's all it is. And maybe they would back off on some of that afterwards and they would only go for the more obvious situations in that case. Yeah. So is that that's kind of the first step that you think should be taken here? Oh, absolutely. I think, again, if 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 you create an environment, because I think that the goal of public policy uh, is about trying to align incentives to get a preferred outcome. Um, I think that misinformation, I can hold two thoughts at the same time. I think misinformation is a legitimate problem that should certainly be tackled, that there are bad actors out there that want to go and spread false information to deliberately undermine institutions. That's That's one thing that can be true. And at the same time, I don't think that the government should be in a position where it's cudgeling companies um, to take action on this kind of content in an aggressive manner that's beyond the scope of its its authorities. Um, good, because what the mission originally was uh, versus where it's at now, it seems like a very big case of scope uh, scope creep, mm -hmm. which is what like Edward Snowden kind of highlighted to our point at the earlier point of the conversation here, where it's like, you know, we knew that the National Security Agency was certainly doing surveillance activities, but we didn't know to what degree. And then it's like all of a sudden, it takes somebody going and highlighting it for us to go and bring them underneath scrutiny and at least make them kind of clean up their act a little bit. Although, you know, that remains to be seen as to how, yeah. how good that's still going to date. Um, but, you know, I think that that's where you start. You have to start with the government and you have to hold them accountable by by letting them know, like, hey, you want to do this. Fine. That's your right. It's totally voluntary, as you're saying, but it's going to be published somewhere. And like, we're going to know exactly who made the request how many requests were made over the course of a year, if we want to break it down into different topics that it was covering, misinformation, disinformation, um, you know, whatever, right? Like, I, I think that that's totally fair. Um, and that's something that we should certainly look at how we can go and do that. Uh, these platforms already do a lot of transparency reports, um, which, you know, unfortunately not too many people read. Um, and they certainly do do stuff about government requests uh, on an international scale and some things here domestically too. Um, so I think that there certainly is a, is a good medium ground uh, where we can get to a good spot where we can, you know, have this kind of accountability in place. Where does the root cause of the problem lie 
uh, for you and your opinion. See, me just being a libertarian, I would say, well, the fact that DHS exists in the first place or the fact that the government has all of this control over the companies so they can tell them what to do and they'll do it because they're scared. And so I, I find those things to be the root causes of the problem. And then down deeper than that, I guess it's society and our need to feel safe and secure falsely sometimes. Uh, what do you, what do you yeah, think? Yeah, I, I think that that's, those are both very true points that I certainly agree with in, in different capacities. I think that, you know, the government, again, having scope creep, seeing that they can go and do something in one area, all of a sudden, you know, trying to expand that capacity into a new and, and novel way that they might not have otherwise been able to do. Part of it's just like incidental too, where it's like, as these companies become more successful and grow in size and scope too, uh, the chances that they're going to go and butt up against government actors in some capacity also increases. So there's already some kind of cadence of communication between government and businesses. And that's not just with technology companies like Facebook or whatever. That's with every single major industry. Like that's already there. Um, and they're communicating across a wide plethora of issues, not just the ones that we particularly care about. So it's not surprising um, that that kind of stuff happens. So I think that certainly the government looking for ways where it can maybe use soft power is certainly more close to the root causes of things. And then to your point, um, you know, it's not it's not a surprise that during COVID that a lot of people were willing to go and trade liberty for security. Um, that's been a common problem in many instances. And we were willing to go and give the experts and, and many folks a lot of power if it meant that we could go and tackle this issue that was COVID-19. And unfortunately, that creates a, a situation known as the tyranny of the experts. We put so much faith and unconditional, uh, you know, faith into these experts that, you know, they have incentives too that that aren't exactly always great um and they were wrong and there's a lack of humility there and that undermines trust in the institutions it's a cyclical problem uh i ultimately think that's at the root cause here where um you know part of it's on civil society part of it's on the scope creep of the government part of it's just you know business of being a successful company uh having that natural you know operational kind of cadence with the government just being who you are um, so there are many factors there. I, I certainly think that the government, though, is the one that has to own up and lead by example, though, um, in many instances, even if it's at their own detriment to a cause that they care about. It's response. It's their it's their onus to want to respect liberty as often as humanly possible, is my view. And that's what I would want to see. Part of the reason why I also feel that way is that from my perspective, I think that the notion that around all of this, from misinformation, disinformation, it's a very pedantic view. It looks very poorly on Americans to suggest that they cannot sift through information in a meaningful way uh, and that you need someone else to basically hold your hand to get that done. And yes, I understand you want to filter and get good, authoritative, accurate information to users, but I also trust my ability to do that and make my own decisions that are in my best interest. I don't need the DHS to do that for me um, with all due respect to the DHS. Like, I, I think that that's, that's my underlying problem with the situation here too, is why does the government feel like it is in the best position to have the ultimate knowledge of, of what makes sense in our individual lives for the things that we're facing? And, and ultimately, even if they were needed to help with some of that, they're ultimately just going to end up using it to help themselves more than they're helping the people. And whatever party is in power will use it to help their own party and hurt the other party. And we've seen this play out through history so many times. I feel like this is just a repetition of history with new technology. 
that's uh, that's really all we're seeing right now. And I, I like what you said about you being able to determine what's misinformation, disinformation. We just did a long episode yesterday going through some conspiracy theories that had popped up about a certain incident that had happened on Friday involving the Speaker of the House. And I love a good conspiracy theory. Like they're, they're fun to me. But the thing I, the whole point of the episode was that everyone should question everything and try to verify things as much as you can. Like it's fun to go through this stuff and imagine that there's some other grand scheme that's going on. But ultimately I can't prove that either any more than I can prove what the official story is. And I think if the, all the American public had a little bit more critical thinking when it came to these, uh, we wouldn't really have to rely on the department of Homeland security to tell us what the truth is. Yeah, I think that's a, a, that's a great point. I think part of the reason, at least why it irks me most is that it's like a, it's a zero tolerance policy insofar as that they want absolute zero instances of deviation from whatever the uh, you know narrative of choice might be on any of these subjects. And the reality is, is that that's an impossible task. You're never going to get a zero policy, uh, you know, reasonably achieved. Um, you know, you're never going to be able to convince people. And we saw that with COVID. And at some point, like Jared Polis in Colorado kind of said it quite well uh, pretty soon on after the pandemic. It was a year plus in where he's just like, look, We've told you to get vaccinated. We've we've given you the information. We've given you everything that you need to go and do what you need to do in your own best interest. And at this point, we're moving on, you know, and, you know, we, we hope that you make a good choice for yourself and your family. But we're not going to sit there and, you know, shut down society because, you know, a small group of people were detracting away from whatever, you know, the bulk were designed to do. And I think that, again, you, you need that certain dose of pragmatism into these conversations because it just goes a long way. And, and I think that people are willing to discuss if they're not going to be met with this notion of you're an idiot, you're why are you thinking that, you know, the, that particular incident that you reported on on Friday, like, OK, fine. It was certainly hilarious to see all the different takes about what exactly happened uh, at that house. It's horrible what happened uh, to the speaker's husband. Um, and, you know, just a little bit of sleuthing and you can start debunking some of that on your own. No problem with respect to plexiglass or whatever. Right. So I think that um, I think that, you know, that's that's a situation where it's again, I, I just trust and I and maybe I'm naive for thinking it, but I do believe in the capacity of people to come to at least, you know, mostly rational and reasonable conclusions. And I don't think that the government needs to have a thumb on the scale and trying to make that outcome happen. I don't like it because it reminds me of nudge theory and I'm not a fan of the government trying to mess with the choices that are in front of people like that. I think that's a fundamentally bad idea. Well, you mentioned that, you know, maybe you were naive and thinking that people could could come up with that on your own. Even even if that were even if it were the case and people couldn't come up with uh, figure out what the truth was, we're never going to learn how to do it if someone else is claiming to do it for us all the time. You know, that that's that's kind of a skill that people have to develop maybe out of necessity because of the time that we're living in. And if the government is just going to be the person who tells you what the truth is, then you're eventually a couple generations from now just going to have a bunch of people who do whatever the government tells them to do. Yeah, and that's something that I certainly don't want to personally see because I like having agency uh, over the choices in my life. I think that, you know, the government, again, it has a, a not an unreasonable claim in the instance of COVID to, to want to look at uh, public health and, and wanting to promote, you know, good authoritative information. But that's 
entirely separate from flagging a Fauci parody account or trying to correct a narrative on the withdrawal from Afghanistan or trying to deal with the Ukraine situation or the gas situation or whatever it is that they feel like they have to push back on. Um, I feel like, you know, as somebody who's more traditionally inclined with speech, like, you know, your best in, your best solution in that is just more speech. You need, you know, sunlight's the best disinfectant. Um, and you got to go and double down on that kind of stuff. And yeah, you're not going to get 100% of the people on board with you. And you have to like, that's a pragmatic reality that you have to face. And that's fine. Um, but, you know, the government as a tool to get a politically preferred outcome is a very dangerous thing. I don't, I don't think that people recognize enough what happens when the shoe's on the other foot. And they're starting to think about it now a little bit with the upcoming midterms and what could possibly be a shift in the control of the chambers and what that means in terms of political power being wielded. But that shouldn't it shouldn't have to just come up as a cycle issue. You should always be wary of government power, regardless of who's in control of these chambers or who's in the White House. Um, you know, that's that's just something that I personally think. I really thought that after having Trump is the president that the left would realize that you can't give the government all of this power. And I thought that having uh, now Biden and Obama as the president, the right would realize that you couldn't give the government all this power. But really going back to something we were talking about before we started this, um, this this didn't just start with the left. Uh, the Snowden thing didn't just start with Obama. Uh, we got DHS in 2002. Uh, I also read in this piece in 2018, Donald Trump signed the Cybersecurity and Infrastructure Security Agency Act, which formed a new wing of DHS devoted to protecting critical national infrastructure uh, so they get a little bit more yeah. powers. I, do you think the right at least will realize that you can't just give the government power and expect to always control that? Yeah, I mean, I think they do to a degree, particularly when they're out of power. It becomes a little bit more noticeable because... Um, you know, elections have consequences. And then all of a sudden you're seeing a bunch of people who think very differently than you making critical decisions that you think are taking the country in the wrong direction. Um, and you can't really do much to stop it um, because you're not in power. Uh, and, you know, there there's countless examples we could look at, whether that's at the FTC or with this uh, situation at the DHS, um, where the government is is certainly abusing its power. I think it's more it's easy to ignore that if you're in power and you control the levers and, and you're able to do whatever, it's easy to throw those blinders on. Um, but I'm hopeful that, you know, as we continue going through this cycle, um, that both sides of, of the aisle and, and Americans in general just become more wary of what happens and why we should be a little bit more uh, reticent about just granting power to these uh, unaccountable, unelectable bureaucrats in some cases in the executive agencies or, you know, to agencies that have politically appointed people that are subject to the whims of a political administration. I think that, you know, you gotta, you gotta always be wary of that. And my hope is that people can wake up to that over time. I think that they're starting to get there, um, but it's a constant fight, you know, and that's what you have to just keep doubling down every cycle. You know, you just gotta keep reminding people. Well, at the risk of ending on a negative note, I wanted to know uh, your thoughts on, do you think Anything will actually come from this story? Yeah, um, I, that's a good question because again, it depends on on what your what your views are um, for what you're looking to achieve out of this. So I think that um, something that's floated out there right now, there's a a bill um, from 
Representative Jim Jordan and Representative Kathy McMorris Rogers that tries to put a little bit more restrictions on uh, government actors uh, from being able to jawbone these companies privately. I think that that's something that at least seems to be pointing in a direction that seems to cut at some of these problems. Um, we have to go and see how all that looks. Um, but I'm hopeful that we can go and have something come out of this where, again, the focus has to be on how can we get back to a liberty principle oriented solution where we're restraining the power of government. And I think that we can certainly get there if we do it right. Um, so I'm, I'm, I'm definitely hopeful looking forward. Um, and I'd much rather have those kinds of conversations than about the silly ones where we get bogged down uh, talking about 230 or other things. I think that focusing on the government um, is a great solution because it is the only one that has the monopoly on force. It's the only one that can really move the needle in terms of what companies are doing uh, in general, not just in the tech sector. Um, so we need to make sure that we put in those safeguards because, you know, that's that's how we hold our government accountable. Great, great. Couldn't agree more. So, James, uh, where do people go to follow what you're doing? Yeah, so you can follow me on Twitter at JamesCZ19, um, or you can go to the Young Voices website where uh, I'm a featured contributor there. Uh, and then I have a personal website at jamesstranowski.com where I go and update with some of the great media clips like this or others that I'll be doing uh, on the subject looking forward. So uh, happy to go and have a conversation with anyone anytime. Great. Well, James, we'd love to have you back on sometime. If we do see them working on anything from this, I know we'll be calling you back up. But uh, we really appreciate your time. And uh, thanks for coming on. Thanks for having me.